Welcome to chapter 35 of Only Half the Story podcast. This is where we interview the most passionate of the passionate people of those who are in the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams. On today's episode, we have Ruben Samuel Misraki. And Ruben is a student studying abroad in Israel, and he is quite the enlightened individual. Him and I go pretty deep into some conversation in this episode, and it was a pleasure getting to know him. So please help me welcome Ruben Misraki to the show. My name is Andrew Haft. This is Only Half the Story podcast, and let chapter 35 begin. <laughs> One quick side note before chapter 35 begins. Only half the story podcast for pennies is alive and well. Every time you listen to an episode of this show, three pennies will be donated to safespace.org in effort to support mental health. Now, wait one second. Last week, it was two pennies. This week, it is three pennies, and that is right. We got a raise. So let's give a shout-out to our sponsors, Anchor, Squarespace, and our newest sponsor, The Black Tux, for supporting this show and supporting a great cause. Every time you listen to an episode, three pennies will be donated to safespace.org. So let Chapter 35 begin. Samuel Mizrahi, welcome to Only Half the Story podcast. It is a pleasure speaking with you this afternoon, or it's your afternoon, my morning. This is the, the first international episode of Only Half the Story podcast, and I am beyond excited. So what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing very, very nice. Thank God, Baruch Hashem, as we say. <laughs> um, it's, actually, it's actually 7.45 at night. So, 7.45 uh, little... at night. That's wow. it. Yeah, that's quite the time change. But yeah, man, what's going on? Life is good. Life is very good. Uh, I had a day filled with uh, unbelievable learning. Um, got to hang out, hang out with friends, speak to family. Uh, really, a, lo a lot of the beautiful things in life that uh, don't sound so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, just to set the playing field, you're you're in Israel right now. Obviously, a good friend of my brother. Garshin. 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 <laughs> Shout out to yeah. Garshin. I'm going to call him Greg. It's just weird for me to call him Garshin. But it makes sense. Shout out Greg Haft for making this happen. But just, uh, you know, just I guess you can call this the elevator pitch, but, you know, just a high level introduction for those who may not know who you are. What can people expect as they listen to this episode? So really, I'm a, I'm a regular guy. Um, I went through the, uh, let's say, the American system proudly. I love America. And, uh, you know, went through high school, college. I was an athlete. And uh, I was just a, a young man seeking for truth and meaning. And this is the, a little bit of my journey of, 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 of searching honestly and you know, going through my ups and downs, wild rides, exciting stories, and, and ending up in a place where uh, I feel pretty established with my life and, and, and having a sense of purpose. And 
and thinking and hoping that I know where uh, where uh, God is taking me. I love that. Sounds like you're on the pursuit, touching on the theme of the show. But wh- where did you grow up? You're you're not you weren't born in America, right? You were you were born elsewhere. I was, yeah, you're right. Uh, I was born in the now famous Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, very ironic. About two weeks ago, no one knew where that place was, or most people thought that I was saying Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the famous Venezuela, gorgeous country filled with beautiful people. Really, some of the most some of the most joyous people in the world, and some of the most beautiful sights you'll ever see in your life. And uh, I grew up, I, I was uh, born and raised there until about 11 years old. And the political situation that you see now really started in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And my father foresaw a lot of the things that are now apparent. And he took me, myself and my family to a small place in Florida called Weston. And that's where I lived until about 25 years old. Really? Yeah. How, so how how many years did you spend in Venezuela? 11. 11 years. Do you recall what life was like over there or are you just little Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. It's, it's really it's a magical place. Well, what was it like over there? Well, <clears throat> on the one hand, you are you're very restricted as to where you could you could go, especially at night because of there's there's a high crime rate even then. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, uh, most people are, are very joyous, very polite, very warm. And truthfully, everyone tells me all the time, oh, I love Venezuelans. Uh, you know, they really I have a Venezuelan friend and he's a very happy guy. It's like that's what you're going to hear mostly about Venezuelans. And uh, <clears throat> I remember that very vividly. It's mainly the connections that I had with people and the feeling of what it was like to live over there. Yeah, because I'm sure it's pretty polar opposite different than life in florida i mean just views from like <laughs> the culture the way of life how people earn make money and and sustain a, a healthy lifestyle i'm sure it's just like you know i i every time i leave the country which has been a few times i not as many not as many times as i prefer but every time i go and come back i always notice that there's just polar opposite difference in cultures and, and this is a given but like just simple things like going to the grocery store you know i feel like even in israel it's like oh you don't go to a safeway or a sprouts or a trader joe's you go to the farmer's market i don't know uh, is that correct absolutely i mean <clears throat> definitely in uh america it's very interesting you have a lot of chain stores and you have you know, like uh, we had like what's called Publix and CVS. And Publix is Walmart. awesome. Yeah, exactly. I know Publix. There's a bit, very big chains that, you know, it's like for, for me, it was actually very cool because we don't have that in Venezuela. So it was like, wow, like let's go to Publix. Let's go to Blockbuster. It was like a very like uh, like a landmark that we're going to in a sense. But uh, but yeah, it's very different. I would say definitely the culture has a has a big um, impact on people. Um, I think in Venezuela, people are really trying to enjoy life as much as they can. And I'm not saying that Americans are not, because I, again, I love Americans and that's where I grew up. But I think in America, there's more of a culture of success is what defines you. 
and uh, and I have to do everything in my power to gain that success. Otherwise, my worth is in question. That's interesting. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. How did you come to that conclusion? Uh, just from experience, I, I really, I don't know. It's my, again, it's my opinion. I could, I could be wrong. Um, no, I think you're I, spot I def- on. And I mean, in parts of the country, like I want to say in New York, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, the big urban hubs where a lot of the companies are based out of, and there's definitely a large hustle type culture where, you know, you work 80 hours a week and that's the norm. Success would definitely define your self-worth for a lot of people. But I think if you were to go to the, some of the smaller parts of the country, like in the the rural Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri parts, I don't think that's the way. But I could be wrong. I agree with you. And I look, I, uh, I, I would say that especially going on uh, – I, I, went, I went to school in upstate New York. And uh, that's a, you know, we can get into that later, but um, basically what I, what I saw there was that there was a much bigger sense of family values, really traditional America that I really connected with that there, there was more of, um, it's, 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 uh, it's more of the internal value. You know, you see like these blue collar gentlemen that really, they work because of, for them, it's it's you're supposed to work as a man. You're supposed to work, at, or as a woman, whatever. It, it, there's a value in working, rather than I have to work to see. So, so in order in order to be perceived in a certain way, I don't know if that makes sense. A little like complicated. Like, what's the purpose of working? It's just something that you're supposed to do. Exactly. There, there's a, I, I take pride in my work because I enjoy it. You know, even if it's like, uh, like I remember my friend, his grandfather had a, a tire company, and he worked. He worked his tail off, but that's because he really enjoyed what he did, and he put his heart and soul. In, took a lot of pride in it, and it's not necessarily because he's trying to make money or he's trying to achieve some sort of status. It's just more of like the enjoyment of what he's doing and the pride and and, and, and the the fulfillment on on hard work. That's true. That is true. I don't know. I feel like that has to do with the show, to be honest with you. Because we're talking, just to, I don't even know if I ever explained this to you, but the, the show is obviously called Only Half the Story. And the premise is talking to passionate people who are on the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams. And I think what is the most interesting about people is what they're passionate about and what they're working towards and why they're working towards it. And I think if you have the answers to those questions, you're on the path to a fulfilling life. And regardless of what that may be, regardless if it's music, if it's art, if it's business, if it's making tires like your friend or if it's religion and like in your aspect i I think that is the reasoning for a happy fulfilling life i don't know i'm just listen uh, i think if i had no if i had known that i probably would have asked you to get on the show a lot earlier oh well dude here we are 
this is very exciting. This I'm 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 with you 100. percent This is uh this is very very uh, inspiring. It's a, it's a beautiful thing you're doing. Well, I appreciate that. So so touching off the premise of the show, Ruben, I, I would love to hear you know what you're passionate about these days, what you're working for, what you're striving towards. Yeah. So I think I think to tell you the truth that uh, what I'm most inspired by these days is to help people in, and first of all starting with myself to have a healthy home a healthy home yes in what way what defines a healthy home a healthy home is that i am making my my family and my immediate surroundings the top priority in my life and I am investing a lot of energy into making sure that that is sound and well. Okay. Okay. Now, what does it take to have a healthy home? Ah, and how much time do you have? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I don't know if I'm living in a healthy home now that now that you bring it up. Well, look, I, I'll say like this. I think the, the whole premise starts because I think that many times there's a there's, there's this idea of I want to change the world, right? Yeah. I want to see my world be a better place. I want to see, you know, countries get along and I want to see legisla legislators make, you know, good things and all these things. And I think that they're very, they're very good dreams. They're very good aspirations. But if you notice, it is a lot easier to love someone far away to comment about someone that's very distant from me. But it's a lot harder to have very healthy, very fulfilling, and very meaningful relationships with those around me. It's harder for that to happen. It's much harder. Why do you say so? I mean, think about it. It's a, it, it think about it in, in, your own, in your own life, you know, if I may, or whoever is listening. Think about it in your life. Think about how much easier it is to, let's say you see a homeless man in the street. It's a lot easier to feel bad for that person and want to do an act of kindness for the homeless man or whatever it may be, an old lady crossing the street or, I don't know, you see some form of injustice. It's very easy for us to look at it and say, I want to help that individual because they're far away. And it's a very beautiful thing. I'm not, I'm not discrediting it. But imagine now about the people that we're closest to our our parents our children our brothers our sisters who we could easily just have relationships with and just say oh they'll never change or they're a problem or they're this or they're that it's a lot it seems a lot harder to have these very stable healthy relationships with the people closest to us and i think that the, the 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 most important thing in any person's life should be their immediate environment. Yeah, I'd say so. Do you feel that's the case for the large majority? I feel like the people that are closest to you are the closest to you for a reason. That's because you enjoy one's company. And if that's the case, I feel like it'd be easier to sustain that, that healthy relationship that you're describing. Yeah, so there's there's an element there's an element of what you're saying that I definitely agree with. But I would say if we just take a look at 
the United States as a whole, and we see that the marriage, the the divorce rate, for example, are catastrophic. There are about a fifty-one percent, and the 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 amount of single parents raising children is through the roof, and I think that that is an indication of the brokenness of marriages. That's one example. Yeah. We could also talk about how a lot of the times, you know, children, the, the, um, the sons and daughters are sending their parents to a, uh, to a home when they're reaching a certain age, you know, rather than, you know, having a, a close relationship with them after they reach a certain uh, old age which is, uh, again, also another indication of, of, I think, broken family values. And I think that as parents, I think in many ways, we are failing our, our kids in raising them in a, in a balanced and healthy way. I see what you're saying, creating a, a healthy and abundant home within your immediate circle. I think... Right marriage definitely does have a huge influence on that without a doubt Absolutely. yeah i think i think so like it would be i think it would be worthwhile a little bit to, to maybe share with you a little bit of of how i came to the conclusions that i came to i think yeah uh, that would yeah so i think w one of the one of the biggest biggest things that i discovered was that when people when people are trying to build their homes there's a certain level of basically when i was in college um i i was under the assumption that i was going to be a professional baseball player um this is what i wanted to do from the age of four and uh i was uh, i was i was very successful i went to a, to a to a school in upstate new york what school by and way? It was uh, Alfred State College. Alfred State College. Where's that at? That is uh, smack in the middle of uh, upstate New York. It's about an hour away from Rochester. Okay. Yeah, that is uh, middle, the boondocks of upstate. Yeah. You can say that again. <laughs> but, yeah, sorry. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's a beautiful place, though. It's uh, uh, filled with great people and uh, really... Uh, very, very, very generous people that taught me a lot. But um, basically, you know, after achieving a certain amount of, of, of success, I started to to question, you know, why am I doing this? Why, 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 why do I want to be a baseball player? Why, why this career and not something else? This was also around the same time where I took a trip to Israel, and also started going into a class in, in world religions. And it made me start to ask a lot of questions. So once I realized that I was basically playing baseball for the wrong reasons, for superficial reasons, I decided that I needed to go inside and really to ask myself, who am I and what do I want out of life? And this is at about 22 years old. It's, a, it's a, quite a big realization. And just around that time, my uh, my mom's cousin gives me a book with a with an Indian guru in the in the in the cover, 
And she claims later that this guru actually came to her in a dream and told her to give me this book. <laughs> That's pretty deep. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I'm just uh, preparing you for the for for the the upcoming details of the story. So I start reading the book and I, I get quite involved with this uh, this this Indian this Indian man and uh, I started to read his book and it really just every word of the book was really captivating me. It was really drawing me in and he spoke a lot about you know what is the purpose what what is life and from the perspective of basically all the religions of the world, science, philosophy, and tying everything in together and painting a beautiful picture that that I was very, very uh, resonant with. And I decided to start to follow his path. And uh, for many years, I did that. And uh, one day, I had quite an experience where when, when speaking to a rabbi, and he asked me a very simple question. He asked me if all of these religions are claiming the same thing that Judaism is claiming. So why don't you follow it from your own people? I mean, we're saying the same thing, right? So why don't you just follow it from your own people? And I basically told them, you know, I don't need to. I don't need to define myself by one specific uh, group. And he said, look, I think it's uh, it's very nice what you're doing. It's a, it's a you know... At the end of the day, all paths, you know, we believe that all paths really lead you to the right place. But, you know, there's a belief, whatever, in Judaism that um, there's a certain specialness to, to Judaism. And so he said, he, said a, he said this phrase that changed my life forever. He said, even though I think this path is doing you good, that I don't think that this path is fulfilling. And he used the word neshama. And neshama happens to be a word in Hebrew that describes, it, it's, it says, it means soul. And when he said that, I had this, this, this if, if, if I could explain it in the best way possible, I felt that my heart was going to come out of my chest. Really? I couldn't yeah. I couldn't explain why. I, I, was, uh, I was transfixed. I, was, I don't know. I, I couldn't explain what was happening. And it shook me to my core. I didn't know what, what was true, what was not. And so I decided that if, if I wanted to be intellectually honest, that I needed to seek for truth in the most objective way possible. And so I decided that I would, uh, you know, balance out the search. I would basically travel to Southeast Asia by myself with a backpack and go to all the major countries that speak about Buddhism, Hinduism, and all that stuff. And then I would also, let's say, balance it with going to a Jewish retreat in upstate New York. That way I could really experience both and, and keep myself really trying to be objective and, and listen to both sides, so to speak, and see which one really is, is, is the ultimate truth. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> So here you are Within, in Israel, and I guess you're living out that truth. That's, uh, yeah, I, 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 long story short, yes. I like it. What were some of the stories that you wanted to share from Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam? You, you mentioned before we started this conversation that there were just, there there were some events that took place that just, oh man, must have been for quite the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know, some 
you know, I've told my some of these stories and they really get entertained by these stories. <laughs> I personally wasn't entertained while they were happening to me, but <laughs> but I guess they make for 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 uh, for good stories to tell afterwards. Those but, are the um, best stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the most dangerous sometimes too. But uh, basically, so like, like uh, once I I went on this uh, this retreat, this Jewish retreat, and I ended up traveling to Southeast Asia. Um, I visited five countries. I visited Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, and India. India being the last. And in India, I mainly wanted to go to uh, the specific home of the guru who had who I had uh, been learning after. And uh, when I got there, I didn't know that India is actually known for being <laughs> a little bit dangerous. And uh, they even have problems with like kidnapping and, and, and things like that. So I wasn't aware of this. I went in there very naive. And one day I decided to go to this, this temple that is very famous, that it's known for, uh, I don't know, for many things that have happened, many miracles that have happened over there. And so then right next to it is overlooking the, the, uh, the famous Ganges River which people go and they bathe and, and, and they consider it a very sacred, very holy river. And so here I was, you know, like in, a, in, in Calcutta, which is a not very touristy city, wearing as touristy clothes as they could possibly get, some Nike shorts, Nike, sh- <laughs> Nike shoes. and just <laughs> Sticking looking, out like a sore thumb. Sticking out like a sore thumb. And I, I, uh, I, go, I go to, I'm taking in this, 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 this uh this view it's very beautiful and there's people bathing little kids playing in the water it's quite quite fascinating gorgeous sight and all of a sudden i see a man just sort of like sun tanning with like nothing on like those little uh i don't know if they're like little shorts i don't know what you call them but they 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 just basically are covering themselves in in the most minimal way possible and I asked him, I said, this is the Ganges River, right? And in very broken English, he says, yes. And he starts asking me a lot of questions. And I, I, I didn't think anything of it. I was uh, very gullible. And towards the end of the conversation, as I'm about to leave, he looks at me with, a very, serious, uh, with very serious eyes. And he says, no matter what anyone tells you, don't believe what anyone says. Wow. And I was like, I don't know. I was like so, in such a high of the moment of the place that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. And he's like, you don't understand. Like, very, he got very serious. He's like, you don't listen to what anybody says. Like, very upset. Like, very, very serious. And I said, okay, 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 whatever. And like, I, I went and I found a little place to sit by the shade. So I'm taking in the view. I'm really just trying to just like enjoy being the moment, be present and not really think about anything. But I'm getting some very strange vibes from like the right side of like the right corner of my eye. And I, and I turn to my right. And every time that I turn to my right, I have these three men that are just staring at me. And every time that I turn, they turn away their face. And I'm like, what? Okay, this is weird. And it kept happening over and over again. And I just uh, didn't think anything of it. So then I went and I decided finally that I was, you know, done sitting down and I wanted to just, you know, splash myself with, with some of the water, you know, it's considered holy. So I figured I would, I would, I would uh, cleanse myself from those waters. 
And as I, as I approach the river, so the Indian man takes my head and he just starts splashing me and splashing me and splashing me with water. I couldn't understand what he was doing, but it felt like he was like in that moment, it just felt like whatever he was doing was very good. I didn't know what it was. In, retro in retrospect, I understand that he was protecting me in that moment, and uh, which you'll see in a second. So the man finishes, and I'm very refreshed because I was very hot. And I'm walking out, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome, whatever. And as I'm walking out, this little kid comes up to me and says in, in very broken English, but I was surprised he knew English. He said, can I take a picture with you? And I said, sure, go ahead. And we take a picture and he shows it to me very nice. And uh, I said, by the way, it just occurred to me to ask the little kid about the three men that were staring at me before. I said to him, by the way, who are those, uh, those three men over there? And the kid's face became very, very serious. Like he just like stopped smiling and looks at me like dead in the eyes. And he just says, don't believe anything they say. And I'm like, oh, again with that? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, they want to, they want to take you. I said, they want to take me? For what? He says, they want to take you and they want to take your kidney. And I was like, what? And it was like, I think probably the scariest moment of my life. Like I'm, I like, I like, I get cold every time I tell this story. It's like it's it's uh, like reality hit me very very hard in that moment. I realized I don't have a working phone. I'm in the middle of nowhere. My parents basically know I'm in India, but that's about it. They don't know which city, and even in that city, they don't even know where I am. There's no tourist. I don't know the language. People barely speak English. I'm like, I'm doomed. And at that moment, on the one hand, I'm fighting my instincts of like panicking. And I'm trying to activate my, my intellect and, and try to think rationally like, okay, think. How are you going to get out of this? Like, where are you going to go? But I'm looking around. There's nowhere to go. I'm cornered into this little lake. And they are basically in the way that I need to go to get out. So I just book it and I just start taking off. And now I'm in the middle of this marketplace and I'm trying to just find a taxi or something. And I find this little, like what's called like a tuk-tuk, which is a motorcycle that has like a little carriage in the back. They're very, very, very popular in Southeast Asia. And I tell this guy, I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, and I give him the address of the place that I was going to go. So the guy starts going and he starts taking me through these like inside this neighborhood and into these like windy roads, like deeper and deeper into the neighborhood. And here I am thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is totally in on it. The little kid sent him my picture. Like I'm getting, I'm basically being taken to get slaughtered. I'm done. And I'm trying to figure out how, um, how to mark, like, if I have to jump out of the, the, the carriage, how to make my way back. But we're so deep in, a left and a right and a left and right. I'm thinking, uh, at this point, I, I'm, not, I'm not aware of where I am. I don't know how to get back. And I can't think straight. And I decide to jump, <laughs> to jump out of the carriage. <laughs> I jump out of the carriage. 
and 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 I'm I'm freaking out at this point. Like literally, I'm in, I'm in like instinct mode all the way through. I'm like at the mercy of you know life, God, and I get I hop into another carriage, and the guy takes me to 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 my destination. And I was safe and whatever. Like it was like really one of the scariest moments of my life. But I'm here to tell you the story. So I made it out alive. No way. Yeah, man. That is intense. <laughs> so you're on this TikTok and this guy's just booking it. You think he had in? He was in on what they were trying to do? Or is he just I, lost? I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I told, I think I might, you know, maybe the guy was being honest. Cause at the end of the day, the other guy took me maybe for like another minute and we got there. So maybe this guy was taking me to the place, but I was not about to take any chances. He was acting very strange and I, I was, I just, I just jumped out. <laughs> oh God. That's nuts. That is insane. Yeah. And here you yeah, are, yeah. thankfully able to share that story with everybody. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, something I want to, you know, bring back to the to the conversation is just life in Israel and what you're currently trying to pursue and and and, and I guess the art of maintaining a healthy home because obviously it's something you're passionate about and I think we could touch a little bit more on why that is and and what you're doing to make that possible just because it's 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 like a very in my eyes I feel like it's a very intangible goal. It's like I want to make homes healthy. You know, like how how do you achieve that? You know, it's what a I mean? great, it's a great point. It's a great point. You you remind me of your brother. You're a very practical guy. <laughs> <laughs> Runs in the family. That's it. That's it. Good. Good. That's I'm I'm also like that. So okay. So while while this whole thing was happening, this whole search was happening, I was also trying to ask myself. What is the greatest way possible that I could help the world? How can I have the most impactful impact, let's just say, that in the world? So at first I thought that it was working with homeless people. So I started, let's say, for example, taking out homeless people to lunch and just sitting down and having a conversation with them. And I had this one guy, ironically, his name was Greg. Um, he said to me of something that changed my mindset altogether. He said to me, he said, look, if you're trying to change the world, he said, forget about us. Now, I'm not suggesting people should forget about homeless people. That's what he told me. He says, you got to get to the root of the issue. Work with children. Because you, instead of treating the disease, you have to prevent the disease. And that, it just it just rung so true to me. Yeah, that's pretty true. That's so wise. Especially as a homeless guy to give you that kind of advice. And you're out there doing some, some acts of kindness and bringing people some food. And next thing you know, the guy that you're treating is telling you, hey, don't worry about me. Worry about the children. That's the root of the problem. Dude, that guy was an angel, and let me tell you, just like a little side note, but to everyone listening, don't don't judge homeless people, if I may say humbly, because this guy, for example, this guy had a heart condition, and he had a lot of uh, seizures because of his heart condition, and no one would hire him because he was a liability. 
This guy was very well equipped. He didn't do any drugs. He didn't have any drinking problems. And his family, which was a lower class uh, income family, were trying to support him. And he himself decided to go out into the street so he wouldn't take any money from his kids. So we never know what people are going through. This guy was actually a very, very intelligent, good man. He was just caught in a very strange situation that he had no control over. Wow, yeah, that's so, a great point. Yeah, thank you for just sharing what, that. That's true. I just thought it was a little side point that I learned from Greg that, you know, in, it, through his example that, you know, we never know what people are going through and we, we need to be compassionate and, and assume the best in people. And, uh, yeah. You're spot on, but, man. You're spot but on. anyhow. That's a powerful message. So, so this led me to then say, okay, I got to work with kids. Fine. So then I started ser searching for jobs that would allow me to work with children. And I fell upon this, this company uh, called Mind Lab, like the mind, M-I-N-D, lab. And they were all about basically developing kids' intelligence through board games. And I loved the idea. I fell in love with the idea. And I immediately, you know, applied and, and bugged the guy in charge until he gave me a job. And I worked there for, for a few years. And I really saw that I was, that we, whatever I was implementing with the kids, it was having a great, great influence on them. But here was the, here was the kicker. A lot of the times, a lot of the things that I was doing with the kids, the parents would take it and just totally destroy that based on their, the way that they were treating their kids. So it's like a so band-aid to the problem. Exactly. Here I was, you know, like, you know, helping them, trying to help them grow and trying to help them, you know, be better and, and with self-esteem and the way they think and the way they act. But then the parents would come in, right? And I would have also a relationship with the parents and I would see how they would speak to the kids, what they would say to the kids. And they were just totally just destroying what we were doing. And I think educators, there's a frustration within educators, uh, in today's day and age, which is that parents really um, can many times just hinder the growth of their kids. And so I decided, I said, even though education is like right there, number two most important thing in a kid's life, I made up the most important thing in our society is that kids should be raised in a proper way. Healthy children healthy society, less problems. That's it. Yeah, because then there's a domino effect. Those children who are raised in that type of environment who grow up maintaining that healthy lifestyle of just pure kindness, compassion, and empathy towards the rest of the world and will continue that chain for generations to come. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm going to add something to, to kindness and compassion, which is something that's has become less and less popular, but it, you can see how um, it's actually hurting us, which is discipline, like like kind discipline and boundaries, and what we call in Hebrew gevura, which is uh, which is like um, like se not se severity, but it's uh, 
it's like laying, I guess, laying boundaries or being able to be stern, strong, and and being able to say no to your kids is just as important as being kind and loving and compassionate. Yeah. What's your method for staying disciplined towards your, you know, daily goals, habits, routines? Definitely having a friend like your brother helps. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, he's actually the one that wakes me up in the morning, gives me a nice elbow to the back, and he makes sure that I'm up bright and early. (laughs) Runs in the family, dog, every day. (laughs) <laughs> you guys you guys are raised very well i mean I, I, kudos to your parents respect i'll let them know <laughs> they're really trying to impact the world in a positive way and i think uh, from what i know of your father if i may speak freely is that he was quite a disciplined man and, and had a good good sense of direction and at the same time you know he provided you guys with some love and some care and kindness in all seriousness, I think friends and, and who we surround ourselves with is very important to surround ourselves with people that are going to help us grow and help us reach um, mentors and people to look up to and, and, and to, I wouldn't say emulate fully, but definitely people that we say, okay, the, this person is displaying some characteristics that I, in my life, wish that I, that I had. Um, definitely also what we call in Hebrew is called cheshben and nefesh, which is taking an accounting of, 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 of how I acted throughout my day at the end of the day and seeing where in my day did I not do what I wanted to do. And the next day, try my best to improve in those things that I didn't, uh, didn't do so well in. Yeah, that's a great point. You're, you're you're absolutely spot on. And I think this has to do and bring in back like what we were talking about earlier and what you're passionate about and bringing it full circle because before we were talking about why divorce rates are so high and what can we do to improve that. And then we were talking right. about, you know, what can we do to maintain a stable home and why you're passionate about it. And then it all has to come full circle with let's say when when life starts and begins for everybody it's at at the youth ages at the youth stage of you know age 1 to 12 i, I don't know that i feel like those are those are very vulnerable years in a in, in a person's life where it could be influenced for the good or for the bad and if you have the structure within a household to make sure that those uh, adolescent years are are raised proper properly then I think you're you're setting yourself up for like what I was saying earlier, fulfilling life. Absolutely, I think it's all I think it's all about balance. Yeah, uh, it all, it, it is all about balance, and then you yeah, it's about balance, and then it has to do with the discipline aspect, and I think with a fulfilling life has to do with the principle of discipline. I think that's like the number one principle that if you have it you're good to go. But if you're, if you're slacking in that arena, I think it's something that people should work on. Absolutely. And that, and I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was saying, and that could be with, you know, just as simple as reading a book every single day or saying, please. And thank you. Or hope opening the door for a stranger. I mean, discipline with just any kind of act of kindness will go to show and compound 
to the greater good and will ultimately overall impact the greater society and you know you want to get deep in on a broad sense and a broad scale change the world <laughs> yeah i agree and i think drew i think you're touching on something very important and i think also if i may add when we enjoy something when we are really really enjoy when we're really passionate about something it doesn't it's not so difficult to be excited about it for example let's say you know someone really likes um i don't know what let's say going for a jog so when that time comes for a jog no one has to remind this person listen you it's time to go to jog like the person is very aware that it's time to jog because they're excited about it and i think when we ask ourselves the questions like um you know why am i doing what i'm doing and we really continue to ask but why but why but why but why but why and if we get to a place that we're doing things because we internally feel fulfilled by them and we really are passionate about them then that drive and that and that pleasure and that motivation will also drive us to seek out ways to be more successful but when we do things in a superficial way because of what others may think about us or we're trying to achieve a certain status or whatever financial whatever it may be then i think that that in itself eventually a person runs out of gas because it's really not coming from within it's coming more from more from the external that's the powerful stuff that's pretty powerful i guess that has a lot to do with what they're teaching you over in israel because uh, I, I think going back to the comparison of life in America and the American way of doing things and graduating college and getting a good job and making a lot of money and that's what you perceived as success and then if you have that success, you, you're you viewed as a worthy human being. But I think the environment that you're currently in, and I've had multiple conversations with Greg, it's it's not about that where you are. It's it's much more about the personal impact that you can have on the individual next to you and your neighbor and your friend and everybody around you that are within your circle and, and making sure that that is where there is a, a healthy balance of a relationship. Yeah, and I would say, I would say the... Um... And just to be to be a nudge, I would say the most important one that that you didn't mention there is actually the person staring back at you at the mirror. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the person. That's to to in my opinion, from what I've learned, and since you asked, like, what is it that we learn in in Israel? You know, just without even getting into the idea of God yet, if you want to, but just talking about ourselves we are taught that the most that the primary thing is to always be digging deeper and deeper into myself how can i be better in every aspect how can i treat people in a in a more in a kinder way how can i overcome the, my limitations how can i you know, expand upon everything that I'm doing and to do it better, more efficiently, with more with more creativity, with more love, with more compassion, with all the things that you're mentioning. It first, the first, it starts with me. I love that. 
I love that. And this is another part of the podcast that I definitely failed to mention beforehand. But with this podcast, we're making it into a fundraiser. So every well, I've I've sponsors for the show and every time someone listens to an episode of this podcast, I get paid and I'm donating that money to an organization here in the Bay Area called Safe Space, which supports mental health. And I well, think everything that you're touching on in this in this episode and this conversation has a lot to do with the cure. I don't even say it's the cure, it's just like it's the preventable action items that would help towards any kind of mental health challenge. And dude, I am, I'm very honored and and grateful that you, that you've had the opportunity to, that you're, that you're sharing everything that you're sharing with everybody. Cause it's uh, there's a lot of truth in what you're saying and I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Andrew. This has been uh, incredibly fun. We're not done yet, bro. We're not done. We got some rapid fire questions I got to ask you. Oh wow. Oh wow. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's dig into some rapid fire questions as we conclude the episode. But Ruben, first rapid fire question I want to ask you is if you have a book that you would most likely give to a friend, what book would that be? Oof. It's very it's actually a very easy answer. It's called The Tanya. The Tanya. Did I say that right? The yeah, it's a T A N Y A. Okay, what's it about? Life. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. All right, I love it. I'll check it out for sure. Next rapid fire question: If you can host a dinner party and you can invite anyone imaginable, who would you invite? What would you make, and why? <laughs> What would I make? Like what? 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 Uh, what, what, what kind of food? Man, man, I'll tell you that the person that I'd want to invite, I'm not sure if he'd want to eat. Who's that? Uh, that would be the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Okay, I don't know who that is. So yeah, he's uh, he was an instrumental person in the Jewish world, who after the Second World War came to America and basically revitalized the entire Jewish people. Wow. And uh, whatever his main message was making leaders. He wanted people to be independent and be strong and to go out into the world and to be able to live as a meaningful Jewish life and, and help others around them. And uh, I think if I invited him to dinner, I'm not quite sure if he would really eat. <laughs> was he someone that just kind of had like a Gandhi mentality and just starved himself? No, no, God forbid. No, no, no. He was uh, just it, from the encounters that people have had with him when you were in his presence, he was just locked in into being in the conversation with you and nothing else mattered. He was just there to speak to you to learn about you and to hopefully help you out okay i'm about it (laughs) all right bring them to the party i love it and last rapid fire question ruben or should i say ruben samuel miss rocky thank you so much for being a part of only half the story podcast it means the absolute world and and touching on the premise of the show one last time this is called only half the story for two reasons. One, my last name is Haft, so just it fits right in. 
And two, we're talking to passionate people who are on the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams. I think too often when we listen to these types of conversations, the featured guest is oftentimes this person who has all the success there at the top of the mountain and they have this grand story to tell on how they got there. However, I want to I wanna reverse engineer that concept and really dig into the tangible steps those are taking as they are on the pursuit of achieving what it is that they set out to achieve. So, Ruben, thank you so much once again for being a part of the show. And last rapid-fire question, how do you want to put your stamp on the universe? Andrew, I want to live a good Jewish life with a very beautiful home, with a happy wife, many happy, healthy children, and hopefully teach as many people as I can about God, Judaism, and having healthy relationships. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Ruben, how's that? I love, man, you hit the nail on the head for sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, once again, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Andrew, you're welcome, brother. All the best. And there you have it, chapter 35. Put it in the bank with the one and only Ruben Samuel Mizrahi. If you were feeling this episode and you were digging this podcast, please like, subscribe, share this with the universe. You might as well. It's all going to charity. Every time you listen to an episode of this show, three pennies get donated to safespace.org in effort to support mental health. So let's get the word out. My name is Andrew Haft. This is Only Half the Story Podcast, and we will see you next time.